All right, thank you, Brother Bill. Appreciate it very much. We have both, my wife and I, have been looking forward to being here this week. Of all the meetings we've been anticipating, this is the one we anticipate the most uh, because of uh, this church and many of the people we know in it and the pastor. But it's also the last meeting before we get to go home. We've been on the road now for a little over six months, and uh, so uh, we left back in May, and now we're looking forward to seeing our grandchildren and our children and people in our church. And uh, frankly, we just don't like the cold. We want to get out of here before it gets any colder. And uh, so anyway, get back down to where um, Arizona's at. This is a good time to be in Arizona. And so we thank the Lord for that. I want to thank your pastor for inviting us to be here this week. And uh, we look forward to what the Lord's got for us. Um, I was thinking about uh, this um, several years ago, a Heartland Baptist Bible College student called me and said, Brother Randolph, he said, I'm doing a paper and I'm required to call pastors about the most important meeting they have in their churches. And so I'm asking if you would give me an idea of all the meetings that you host as, uh, there at Cornerstone, what would you say of all the meetings, revivals and all of them, would you say is the most important meeting that you have? And without any hesitation, I told him, I said, right off the bat, our missions conference. I said, every January we host a week-long Faith Promise Missions Conference. And I'm not sure exactly what answers I gave him because he said, why is that? Why is that the most important meeting? But today as I was thinking about that, I just wrote down just two or three things here. And this isn't the message, but uh, I wrote down, first of all, because it examines the church's interest as well as re-examines our priorities. Um, Whenever we hold a missions conference, it brings us back to the reason for our existence as a church. The second thing, besides just re-examining our priorities, is that it exposes our church to the spiritual needs of the world, which we get periodically as we have missionaries in during the, during the year, but, but basically a missions conference night after night just re-emphasizes there's a great spiritual need in the world that we live in. And then thirdly, it encourages the church to invest in others. Um, like any other meeting that we have, we're always asking folks to get on board with that program and be a part of it and get it involved. And then fourthly, I thought it enlarges the church's influence globally. Now, we have an influence in Phoenix, but we want our church to have a global influence. And when we get involved in missions, you do just exactly that. You broaden the base and the influence of your church on a global perspective. And so I, I suppose I may have given him those reasons, I don't remember, but uh, I suppose those are probably some of the main reasons as to why we believe that Faith Promise Missions conferences in our church are the most important meeting of all of them. And uh, we, we, are, we always ask, I, I always ask our people, try to be faithful to every night of the meeting uh, and be a part of it. It's not that difficult. It's only three nights. You're usually here on Wednesday, so it's only two extra nights and then your weekend services. But if you'll get in on the entire thing, You'll never know what the Lord may do to speak to you regarding uh, missions. If you have your Bible tonight, I'm going to have you turn to two passages, uh, and I want you, we're going to actually come back to the second one. But if you'll find Acts chapter number 16, Acts chapter 16, and I'm just going to read a passage there, and then we're going to go to Romans chapter number 15, and that's where we're going to be for a few moments tonight. In Acts chapter number 16... I'm going to ask if you're able to stand with me out of the reading for the Word of God, just out of respect to it. If you're not able to stand, well, you can remain seated. I'm going to begin reading in Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Messiah, came to, down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately Paul said, We endeavored to go into Macedonia assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel 
unto them. Therefore, loosening from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. Let me just take a moment here just to say this, that if you'll remember this particular passage explains to us Paul's second missionary journey. You can read about him reporting to the church at Antioch in Acts chapter number 15. After he had gone into Asia Minor and planted some churches, he came back with Barnabas and they were reporting to that church. And then in verse number 35 of the previous chapter, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So uh, we know that Paul and Barnabas did not go together. They had a contention, a falling out. And so Paul ended up taking Silas on his second missionary journey, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him. And Paul goes uh, with the idea of going back into Asia Minor to plant some more churches, win some more souls. And the Bible tells us here that we just read that the Spirit of God suffered him not, did not allow him to go where he felt like he wanted to go. And the reason for that is because he had seen a vision uh, of a man over in Macedonia uh, crying out to Paul, crying out to the Lord, come over and help us. Send us the message that you've been preaching, that message of grace, that message of forgiveness, that message of victory that message that can change lives. You've been preaching it to people that have never seen, never heard. Now come over and help us with that. And Paul says there uh, there in verse number uh, 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over uh, into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, uh, how quickly, he said, We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us, for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, Macedonia area, if you'll remember, there were churches like Philippi that it mentions, and Corinth, Troas, um, Thessalonica, different churches that he eventually went to. And uh, Paul is uh, going to take the gospel to them. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this message. Father, thank you for the good music tonight. Thank you for the good spirit. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be here. I pray you'll fill me. I pray that, Lord, you'll give me liberty. And Lord, uh, my liberty will depend a lot upon the responsiveness of those that hear what I have to say and really what you have to say through me. So I pray that the, the ears will be open and hearts will be open and it'll be easy for me to convey what you've laid upon my heart to convey tonight that might be uh, the basis of helping everyone here to have really a right attitude, developing a right attitude about missions. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Now, when you come to Romans chapter number 15, Romans 15 is actually going to speak about the same church that we just read about, or the churches of Macedonia. The difference is, is that in Romans 15, it's about eight years later when Paul writes this, from what it was written in the book of Acts. And so there's uh, some similarities to these passages. One, in Acts 16, it's the people over in Macedonia that were not saved. And Paul is going to go over there and take the gospel to them, and they're going to get saved, and lives are going to be changed. Eight years later, uh, you're going to read about them here in Romans 15. So I'm going to pick it up in verse number 20. In Romans 15, 20, it says, Yea, so have... Uh, I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I'll come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. 
Now look at verse 26, because it's going to talk about the churches of Macedonia. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I'm sure that when I come unto you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. <clears throat> now, what I want you to see tonight, uh, and, and the, the subject I'm actually going to be speaking on is, is developing a right attitude towards mission. You know, I believe that everything in life uh, pretty much depends on your attitude. Uh, when we send our kids to camp, I always would gather all the kids to camp, and I'd always pray with them before they get on the buses and head out, and, and I would tell them, I would always say, now kids, listen, you need to have a good attitude while you're at camp. You may not be comfortable up there, it may get hot in the mountains or wherever, but regardless, determine right now, I'm going to have a good attitude all week long. And, and, and if you'll do, you'll enjoy the camp, you'll enjoy the preaching, you'll come back probably with God being able to do something in your life. But if you don't have the right attitude, then, then nothing goes right. And that's true even with missions. And I, I'm, I, I'm not certainly here to take any liberty to say, you're, you as a church don't have the right attitude. It's very obvious you probably do. But, but I don't know what your attitude is towards missions, but I want you to know the passage here in Romans 15, I believe Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the right attitude that we need to develop about missions, and we need to get that attitude from the churches of Macedonia that, that, were, that had taken on and gotten saved from pre Paul's preaching. And eight years later, they find out that there's a great dearth, a great famine down in the area of Jerusalem and, and uh, Judea, and that the poor saints down there are suffering. And so immediately, these churches of Macedonia, they want to make a certain contribution uh, to, these, to help them uh, and send it by Paul, the missionary, uh, that had come to them and preached the gospel. And so uh, here in, in Romans chapter number 15, uh, I, I, we're going to look at the right attitude towards missions, and, and I, I like to call this the missions in 3D. Missions in 3D, because Paul's going to use uh, some words here that I think would help us to understand what that is. And, and, I, and I, I'd say this, Paul came and brought these people in Macedonia uh, a life-changing message. The gospel is a life-changing message. It, it'll change anyone's life if by faith you'll receive the Lord Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. For by faith, the Bible says uh, the, uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Paul, he, he comes and he brings this life-changing message to those that were saying, we want that message. We, we need that message. And one of the things I think you need to understand is, is there's still people in the world that are crying out, come over and help us. Bring, bring us the message. We get this idea because we live in the United States of America where everybody owns a Bible and there's a church on every street corner, we get this idea that uh, because we all know that we, about Jesus Christ and so forth and we've been saved, we just assume that everybody in the whole world knows that. But I'm just telling you that not even everybody in the United States knows that besides the other countries of the world. And so when Paul is, is, gets this message to take and go into Macedonia to those that had never heard, those that had never understood, those that had never seen. Uh, he takes the message and they receive it, and many of them get saved, and now they've been saved for about eight years, and now their attitude towards helping somebody else to get saved and somebody else in need, they show us what the right attitude is. And Paul, so he brings this message to them, and I want you to understand it. It didn't come, uh, uh, come without a cost. Paul suffered and he bled and he was imprisoned and he went through rejection and persecution and you can read about that when he goes in Acts 16 where he goes into Philippi and he's in prison with Silas there for just preaching the gospel and so there's a price that he paid to bring that life-changing message 
uh, to someone that had never heard. And uh, you see, folks, listen, to get the gospel message out to a lost and dying world, someone's got to go. Paul was willing to go. Someone's got to give. Someone's got to be willing to give of their substance to send others. Some have to be willing to make sacrifices for others. And Paul is the example of that, really, when he was willing to leave and go over into an area that had never heard, a Roman portion of that world at that time. And even though they were asking for it, or a man was praying for it, not everybody was receptive to it. And Paul many times had to go through trials and persecution and so forth while he was there. And so uh, the Bible says, to whom he was not spoken of shall see, and they that had not heard shall understand. Now, in Romans 15 and 20 and 29, I'm interested in us understanding the attitude of those who are now saved. Now, the attitude was, come over and help us, and they received it. Now the attitude is, uh, or the, the, the call is coming there's others that need help. And so they sat there and said, hey, we want to make a certain contribution. And I, I really think when we're talking about missions, that's only a part of it when we're talking about making a certain contribution. But uh, when we talk about economics, because missions is much more than just economics. It's more than just putting money in an offering plate. It's you making a contribution to missions, a personal contribution to mission. Now, it may be uh, that you put in money in an offering plate uh, to help others to go if that's not where God has sent you. But you have to make a personal contribution yourself in your own Jerusalem right here. The Bible says, after the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall receive power uh, to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we know that in order for me to be biblical, uh, it, when it comes to the area of missions, I have to not only be a giver to send those that are called to other areas that I'm not, the Samarias and the uttermost parts of the earth, but I'm to be a witness in my own Jerusalem, which is a mission field also. Sometimes we get the idea that the only mission fields are outside the United States of America, in Africa and South Central America and the Ukraine and, and the 1040 window and so forth. Uh, the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I, I think the continent of the uh, where the United States of America is, the North Continent here, is a part of the world. And so this is a mission field too. And we don't always think of missionaries coming to America, but I'm telling you, America needs the gospel as well. Your city needs the gospel. There are people right here in St. Joe that have never once in their entire life had anybody present to them a clear-cut message of the gospel. I'm just telling you, you'd say, I don't believe that. I'm, well, if you'd go out and knock on some doors and, and meet some people, you'll find that they're as blinded to the truth of the gospel as people are in Africa. And so, but, but, but listen, we don't put money in an offering plate to send a guy to Africa to reach our Jerusalem. We're, we're, he's going over to Africa to do that. Or he's going over to Ukraine to do that. Or he's going over to Israel to do that. Wherever the mission feels God's called him. But if God hasn't called you to go outside your world, then your world right here is your mission field. And you're the missionary. And the people that are going to get saved here is dependent upon what you do as a church. And so we need to understand that making a certain contribution goes further than just throwing $10 in an offering plate and then having the attitude, hey, what more do you want me to do for missions? I give to our Faith Promise Missions Conference. Well, you need to make a, more than a, a personal contribution economically because you may be helping somebody else to go beyond the regions, beyond, but what is being done right here in your own Jerusalem is your responsibility. And so Paul is writing here about the attitude that these Macedonians had uh, 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 in regarding making a personal contribution. Now, I suppose if we're, you know, when you think about this, uh, uh, when you think about, it says here in verse number 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Now, the right biblical attitude to have after we've become saved is to understand that if you're saved, you have also become a partaker of spiritual things. And really what we're saying here is the Macedonian said, hey, we've been the partakers now of these spiritual things. 
So now it's our duty to go ahead and minister to others and make a personal contribution or a type of contribution here uh, so others can hear the gospel and so forth. I I, I, want to say this. I suppose if we're to go around this room this evening and we were allowed to share the things about Christ has meant to us since we've been saved and uh, what he's done in regards to spiritual things, uh, you know, I would say that all of us could stand up and say, you know, uh, I've been so blessed since I've been saved. I've been the recipient, the beneficiary of so many spiritual things since I've been saved. I got saved um, 49 years ago in the Philippine Islands when I was uh, in the United States Air Force over there. And uh, in that period of time, I, I, I thought about all the spiritual things that I have become the beneficiary of since I got saved. Well, first of all, I, I thought about this. I thought, you know, uh, here I've been, I've been pastoring or head pastored there for in Phoenix area, and Arizona area for nearly 40 years. And uh, then I've been married now for going on 48 years. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been saved for 49 years. And I thought about all of the things. Oh, how I've been blessed. I've got a, a, a wife that is godly and loves the Lord, and I get to travel with her now and go around to different places. I have nine grandchildren, and all my grandchildren, I think except for the youngest one that's maybe four, but all the, our grandkids have been saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And, and I've got three children that are saved. Uh, my daughter and her son-in-law are now the pastors of Cornerstone well, my daughter's not the pastor, but she's probably the associate pastor. <laughs> I know my daughter pretty well. But anyway, John, John's the pastor, but they get to minister there in our place now or in our stead when we stepped aside a couple of years ago. I have been so blessed with spiritual things that, uh, that, that it has changed my attitude from the day that I first got saved till now and over these years. I just want to have you write these down real quickly here. There are three of them. I'm just going to give them to you as quick as I possibly can. Uh, but I don't know about what, what motivates you, but as I, I, as I look at these, I'm, I'm convinced that what motivated the Macedonian churches to make a certain contribution to the poor saints that were down in Jerusalem came, first of all, if you'll look in verse number 27, he said, uh, it's pleased them them referring to the Macedonians, it's pleased the Macedonians verily or truly, and their debtors they are, for the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Here's the first motivation. I want you to notice in verse number 27 the word duty. The word duty. I don't know what motivates you to give and to stay faithful and to stay serving and and be interested in helping others, but I do it out of a sense of duty. And I think that's a good motivation. Uh, Listen, I don't think feeling that it's our duty to give uh, or to serve should be a negative thing. I I don't think that ought to be the case at all. I I think it is our duty. In fact, I looked up the word duty here in this passage, and uh, out of the 1828 dictionary, here's what it says. It says the word duty here is in the same sense of being uh, respectful or reverent towards a prince or a magistrate or the laws of the land, meaning that, uh, that you have a duty as a citizen of your country to have respect towards the laws and so forth. That's our duty as citizens. And then, then it said this. It says, it's the duty of every, uh, 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 it's the duty of, of uh, a Christian to show respect and honor and obedience to God. Now, that's our duty. It, it went on to talk about uh, as fidelity to friends is a duty. Uh, as, uh, as children showing respect and obedience to their parents is the duty of children. And, and so really when you think about it, uh, uh, children have a duty to their parents and parents have a duty to their children. And, and as a Christian, I have a duty to God. And, and as a citizen of this nation, I have a duty to those that are in, in authority in the laws of the land but as, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, I also have a duty to others. And, and Paul is saying that the Macedonian churches here uh, incorporated this idea in their mind that we wouldn't be the spiritual recipients of, of spiritual things. We wouldn't have received those things 
If they hadn't cared about us and brought the gospel to us and made a contribution to us so that our lives could be changed, so now it's our duty to help somebody else. I think that's a good motivation. I think that's the way to start a conference is to get the idea that it is our duty to do what we're talking about this week. It's our duty to do it. Listen, I think it needs to be instilled in all of us that it's the idea that we have a duty uh, to make a certain contribution regarding missions to help others receive the gospel. I think that's the idea of it here, is that they had become spiritual recipients of spiritual things. Their lives have been changed. Their name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're now going to heaven. And their, 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 their marriages have been put back together. And for eight years, they've been receiving these blessings. And suddenly, somebody says, hey, you guys over there in Macedonia, we're taking up an offering uh, to help others in need. What do you, what's your attitude towards that? And immediately, they sat there and said, hey, it's our duty to do this. It ought to be our duty. I mean, it ought to be our duty. Now, the question, if it's not our duty, whose duty is it? Think about that. Whose duty is it to give to missions if it's not our duty? What, the world? The world don't feel a duty to get others the gospel. The, the, the world's not going to give. The, you'd say, well, it's the, it's the residence of St. Joe. It's not their duty. It's our duty. Because they're out there. They haven't been the recipients of spiritual things. You and I have. We've been the ones to receive the spiritual things and people have ministered to us, and our lives have been changed, and we've got so much to be thankful for. So therefore, now that we know that there's a need out there in the world, and if you'll be faithful this week, and you'll allow some of these missionaries to share what's needed in these areas, you'll see that there's still a need. And, and then if you'll take on and incorporate the mindset is that I have a duty to help others, then I'm, I'm telling you it'll help you to give, it'll help you to go. You have to look at it from a duty standpoint. Now, the word duty, a lot of times we don't like the word duty because it's got like a military uh, term to it, almost as though you have to do it out of a sense of obligation. But in a sense, it is our obligation. It is our duty to make a certain contribution. I don't know how, listen, I don't know how you can sit here and be a member of a local New Testament fundamental independent Baptist soul-winning, mission-minded church, and then when the offering plate is passed and there's a card to fill out that says, would you be willing to make a certain contribution towards helping somebody else in need? And you've been the recipient of this yourself. It's not to have the attitude that it's my duty to give. If you'd stand there and say, hey, it's not my duty to do this, I just, I, I can't get that in my mind. How anybody could be saved and not see it as their duty, their duty to give. I'm just telling you, Paul said, hey, it pleased the Macedonians to make a certain contribution because they were debtors they are. For the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, then it's their duty to minister unto them in spiritual things. You say, well, what have I been a partaker of? Well, I wrote down a few things here. Number one, you've been a partaker of the gospel when you, by faith, believed it and received it. It changed your life and God saved your soul. Uh, then I, th I put this down. You become a partaker of the divine nature that's spoken about, which is the Holy Spirit that comes into our life. The minute that we get saved, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and you've been a partaker of the Holy Spirit of God. And what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the, of, of, of the Holy Spirit and, and He dwelleth in you and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. And then you've been a partaker of His forgiveness of sin. Hallelujah. <laughs> You know, you think about uh, uh, the life you lived prior to getting saved, and God has completely put all of that under the blood and washed it all away and taken it all away, and you'll never have to stand before God and ever give an answer for any sin of your past, your present, or, or of your future, because it's all under the blood. He didn't die just for your sins in the past. He died for all of them. Sins you haven't even committed yet, He had already died for on the cross at Calvary. I'm glad there. I'm never going to have to give an account of my sin because I've been a partaker of, for, of the forgiveness and pardon of sin. And then I've been a, a partaker of eternal life. I got eternal life the very moment I got saved. 
I, you don't get eternal life when you die. You get it the minute the Holy Spirit of God comes into you. In fact, I even got to thinking about this. Even if you don't ever get saved, you're still going to have, you're going to live eternally. I mean, a lost man doesn't die like a dog in the street. He may not have eternal life. He may have an eternal death, you know, the second death, but he still, his soul's never going to die in that sense of the word. So really, in a sense, we have a sense of an eternity about us. But, but I'm thankful I'm not going to face an eternal death. I have eternal life. And that life is in the Lord Jesus Christ, of which I become a partaker of. And then I become a partaker of his constant abiding presence. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be with you. What a great, great promise. And then I've been a partaker not only of his promises there in Ephesians 2, but I've been a partaker of his power there in Acts 1.8. I've been a partaker of his peace. My peace I give unto you, not like the world giveth unto you. He gives us a peace that passeth all understanding. I've been a partaker of an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you, the Bible says. I've been kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Hey, listen, I could go on and go on and go on and go on and go on over 49 years. I'm just telling you that I have been the recipient, the beneficiary of so many blessings and so many spiritual things that have helped my life and changed my life. And then when someone says, would you help somebody else? I want to immediately say, yes, it's my duty to do that. It's my duty to do that. Hey, the list could go on, folks. Listen, if we could sit down and begin to just list all the spiritual things that we have become the recipients of since we got saved, the list would be endless. It would. It would be endless. And every day that I'm saved, I continue through my involvement uh, receiving spiritual things. Every time your pastor stands up and opens the Word of God and and shares with you by the Holy Spirit a truth that's life-changing, you become the recipient of a spiritual thing. You think about that. All the things that God has given you by grace. It should be, it should be a no-brainer when it comes to giving to missions and making a certain contribution. I, I don't know why we, when, when it comes time to give above our tithe, and the tithe is not missions, the tithe is, is the Lord's, and it's, it's given through the storehouse of the local church, and really it's just a form of obedient giving. It's not like the Lord needs the tithe. It's not like he's a pulper, and he's saying, hey, you better tithe or I'll run, I won't have anything to get. It, 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 he, he, he wants to bless us. He wants us to be able to prove him that he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. There will not be room enough to receive it. Uh, so tithing to your local church is just basic. It's elementary. It's, it's what baby Christians do when they first start giving. It's just showing the Lord, I want to be obedient to you. But faith promise mission giving is above the tithe. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's an offering that you give by faith to the Lord to help somebody else outside your local church. I, I can tell you, <clears throat> I haven't spoken to Brother Marshall about this, but I can almost tell you how the missions is handled in this church because all my friends that are in the mission or missions or, and church handle their missions pretty much the same way. Uh, maybe a little bit different, but we, we, we have two checkbooks, Cornerstone does. One is a general account for all the tithes that come in is used for that local ministry, that local church, uh, and uh, help pay the debt of the church and help pay the bills and take care of the pastor and the staff and, and all the things that need to be taken care of there and help to get the gospel within our Jerusalem. That's what the tithe is for. The other checking account is everything that's given above the tithe that's designated missions goes into a separate checking account, and that checking account's not used for our local church. It's used, every dollar goes out of our church to help get the gospel beyond our Jerusalem, uh, you know, Well, it may may even involve home missions to where if somebody comes to our city, because Phoenix now is pushing the 5 million mark, and it's a huge city, so we we need more churches planted there as well. So we would would call it home missions, and we would be able to take some of our mission money and help a guy get a church planted in, even within our own type of Jerusalem. Or within the United States would be the Samaria, and then the outer parts of the world would be beyond our borders and so forth. So mission money in our church is never used for just our church, but it's used always for some form of world missions to get the gospel out to help somebody else. And I'm sure it's that way here. They don't use mission money to, to uh, 
you know, buy chairs or buy a new bus or whatever the case might be. I've known preachers that have stand there and, and I've known preachers that have, that would say that their own church is a mission and uh, anything they started the church, they use mission dollars for. I just don't think God blesses that. That's just my opinion. But I just think every dime, every dollar that's given to missions should go to missions. And I know that's the way it is here. And so you ought to be, you ought to be willing by a sense of duty. But duty is not the only motivator. Notice something else here. It's found in verse number 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. Now I believe... I believe quickly the second thing that, that these Macedonian churches were motivated by, uh, rather than just a sense of duty, but they, but they gave a, a certain contribution out of a sense that they were debtors, uh, out of debt. Paul says they're debtors they are. You say a debtor to what? A debtor to who? To those who paid a price and made a sacrifice so that they could become partakers of spiritual things. Uh, you're a debtor to those that are still lost. You say, well, why do I owe them a debt? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul got saved on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, and after he got saved, he, he had the right attitude about service. Immediately, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What, what do you want me to do? I think that's a great attitude. That ought to be the first attitude you have the minute you get saved. Is, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, and the pastor will, will help you to understand what the Lord would have you to do. After you first get saved, the very next thing you need to do is get baptized. That's what he wants you to do. You, you know, show the world that you've received the gospel. Get baptized. Baptism is the doorway into the church. It's not the doorway into heaven. Some people get confused with that. You know, when you get saved, there's, there's what we call the family of God, and only salvation can make you a part of God's family. Then there's the church of God, and only after you become a child of God in His family, and you get baptized, you become a member in a local New Testament church. It would be possible, if you think about it, it would be possible, according to the Bible, to be saved and be a part of God's family. And if you never got baptized, you'd really never, while the church is on the earth, you'd never be a part of a church. Someone said, I've, 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 I've knocked on the doors of people that would say that, well, I'm already in God's church. I don't need to be baptized. I, I'm already a part of God's church when I got saved. Well, their attitude towards that is, that they thought getting saved made them a part of God's church. So they look at the church as a universal, invisible body, and it's not that at all. It's a local congregation. And so Paul said, what would you have me to do? And the Lord began to outline him, uh, his call upon his life, and immediately he endeavored to do whatever the Lord had him to do. I mean, if you're looking for the attitude that you need to take on as a Christian, just follow Paul Paul's a great example. Or when it comes to missions, just follow the example of the churches of Macedonia and stand there and say, hey, when it comes time to filling out a card or giving to missions or going and helping to knock doors and reach somebody for Christ, hey, I'm going to take on the attitude the Macedonians do. I'm going to look at it as it's my duty to help in that case. And, and I'm a debtor also to those that are lost out in the world. But, 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 but also feel like they, they looked at it from the standpoint they were a debtor to those that had paid a price. You see, Paul was the one asking for them to take up this, this offering. And, and you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Upon the first day of the week, they laid by in store this collection, this offering. And then you can read about how that the Macedonian churches gave out of affliction and great poverty in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The very offering we're reading about right here, the contribution that was made. If you want to know more about that contribution in detail, well, then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and read how that the grace of God was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia and how in their poverty and great affliction they gave liberally, abountifully. That's how they gave. They, they, they wanted to be a part of this. And they did it out of a sense of duty, and they did it out of a sense that they owed a debt to somebody. You know, I remember when I went to Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in 1975, I had been saved for five years. <clears throat> I got saved in 1970, 
Five years later, after I had gotten married in 1972, my wife and I, uh, the Lord's called call us to go into full-time uh, service. And so we went off to Bible college. And uh, in 75, we went to PC. And back in those days, Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College, uh, it, it cost my wife and I approximately $300 a month for both of us to go to Bible college. I had the GI Bill, so I received about $425 a month from the GI Bill, so I really didn't have to pay anything. I, the, the military actually paid for my wife and I to go through college. But, but more than that, the reason that the tuition was so low at Pacific Coast, because churches like this church and Brother Williams, when he did the, uh, was pastoring prior to Brother Bill, and churches all across America, they would give a certain contribution to the college there at PC and support the college. And by supporting the college, they made it possible for somebody to go at a lower cost. That's, saying, that's still true at Heartland. Heartland, one-third of their entire budget is from churches that support the May offering that go and give, and, and then monthly support is another third. So really, a third comes from the churches, a third from the May offering, and then a third comes from tuition. So really, the reason Heartland is so low is because churches just like yours that support the college make it possible. But let me tell you what, 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 what I did. When I got out of Bible college, I felt I owed a debt back to that school because somebody else educated me at no cost to me. So when it came time, they were asking me, would you be willing to help somebody else go to school at a lower cost? I felt it was my duty to do that. I felt a sense of debt to that college that had given me that kind of a thing. I, when, I, when I went to the military and got over there in the Philippine Islands, there was a man by the name of Howard Quinlan. He's 94 years old today. He's in West Stewart's church in Olathe, Kansas. I was just there, preached a revival for Wes. I had not seen Brother Quinlan for a lot of years. And he baptized me just a Wednesday or so after I got saved in 1970. And I went down and I hugged on him and so forth, but I thought about the price that he paid. He had been in the Philippines for 60 years as a missionary. His son John pastors the church his dad used to pastor. And I had the privilege a few years ago to go back to the Philippines again. We've been over there like five or six times, and I got a chance to go back to the church I was saved in and baptized in 49 years ago and preach in the very pulpit that Howard Quinlan preached in. What a blessing that was. And, and when I saw him down there, I, I, I thought, you know, you were paying a price as a missionary to be over there and making certain sacrifices. I understand that, you know, when someone says, oh, I don't think it's a sacrifice when you're called to be in God's will. I understand that. But still, there's some sacrifices that are made. You leave grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, and those kind of things. I'm talking about those type of sacrifices. He was never negative to that. But he was working hard to reach Filipinos. Unbeknownst, he was going to reach a Michigan farm boy uh, in the Philippine Islands, and that I would get saved. So now, so now if somebody comes through and they'd say, hey, I'm going to the Philippines to be a missionary. And, in fact, I think you have... One that's in here in the meeting. Uh, JB, where are you, JB? Yeah, you're going to the Philippines. And if I was still pastoring, it wouldn't even be a question. You wouldn't even probably have to come to my church. I'd probably just support you. <laughs> because I know you're going to go over and reach Filipinos, but you may also go over there and reach a Michigan farm boy and not even know about it. But, but, but to go over there, you're going to have to do some things to pay a price to go there and so forth. And I think the Macedonian churches and the people who got saved in Macedonia felt like not only did Paul pay a price to come over there and go to prison, get beaten, and all the things that he went through so they could get the gospel, they felt like they owed a debt back to those that had helped them. And that's exactly why Paul is writing, they're debtors they are. It's their duty to do this. Do you feel a debt to anyone? You know, honestly, I've, my brother, Brother Joyner, he told me, he said, Terry, always live your Christian life with a debtor's attitude. Always live with the idea that you want to help somebody else, that you owe a debt to somebody else. That, that'll make you a giver. When, when you don't feel you owe a debt to anybody else, you're not going to give. So they, they took on the attitude that I'm a, it's my duty to do this, we're debtors we are, 
And then this last one quickly. Notice in verse number 23, Paul uses a word here. He says, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire. I want to, I, I, I know it was Paul's desire to come unto them and preach the gospel. But if you notice down in 27, it says, it hath pleased them verily, speaking of the Macedonian. And, and the idea there was they had this same desire to help. They didn't just do it because they felt it was their duty. They just didn't do it because they, they thought they were debtors. They did it because they had a desire to do this. They had a desire to do it. They had a desire to help get somebody else sent to the Philippines. They had a desire to get somebody else back over to Ukraine. They had a desire to uh, train some young men in their churches and so forth to go to Bible college that might become preachers and missionaries. They had a desire to do this. You see, here's why my wife and I continue to give to missions. And by the way, I, when I stepped down two years ago, I had a fairly lucrative salary after 36 years of planning that church and staying there. They were so gracious to us. It was a part of the blessings of God that took care of us. But when I stepped down, I lost my salary. And we were giving over a period of 49 years to missions. Every single year in 49 years, we had been increasing our mission giving every single year. And someone came to me and said, well, now, Pastor, you're, you're probably not going to be able to give what you were giving to missions before because you don't have the salary. I said, you know what? I never gave to missions out of my salary. W what do you mean? I always gave it by faith. I, di I didn't sit down and figure it out from my salary if I could afford to give to missions. That's not faith promise. What I did with missions is every... I prayed, and when God laid the figure on that I'm supposed to increase, that's what I gave every single week. And all I did is trust the Lord to give it back to me. And by the way, he's done it for 49 years. I, I, he's never let me down one time. So we decided that we would test the Lord, and what we were giving over 49 years and increasing, we would continue to give that amount without the salary. And we've been on the road for two years, and, and we've we're got a missions conference coming up. And I told Mickey, I said, this year we're going to increase it again. You know why? Because for the last two years, he's kept on giving it. Because we've given it by faith and he's always supplied it. It has nothing to do with your salary. It has nothing to do with your resources. Faith promised mission giving is the resources he'll give to you to give it. And so we have continued to give out of a sense of duty and debt. And it's been our desire to do that. We have a desire to help others. We have a desire to help others become a partaker of spiritual things and their lives to be changed. I'm, I'm just here to tell you tonight, in closing, that basically when it comes to missions, and you sit down and you pray about what you're going to give towards missions, that's only one aspect of missions, what you're economically going to put in the offering plate, because that money is going to go to somebody else to take it beyond your door. But what other contribution are you going to make? Well, if you'll still maintain the attitude, it's my duty to make a contribution. I'm a debtor. I have a desire to do this. Can I ask you a question? Just as you think in your own mind, do you feel like you have a duty to the missions program of your church? Do you feel like you're a debtor to anybody? Do you feel like you have any desire at all to help somebody else get to the mission field. Every missions conference that we had at, have at our church, um, <clears throat> we have increased it every year. Our church has increased it. There has not been a year in, in, in all the years that I pastored there that we ever leveled off. Every year, our people continued to give more. And the reason they did that is because the need kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The world kept getting bigger. So that means that we had to keep increasing in order to help somebody else. We always have missionaries in at our conference, and on the very last night, we'd always bring them to the platform, and we would always take on every single missionary that we had. We'd add them that Sunday night. And then throughout the year, it was our goal to try to add another four or five missionaries that year as they'd come in on other Sundays. So we would take on a ton of missionaries in a year, and sometimes we'd get to a point where we didn't know how we were going to do it, and I'd say to the people, how many be willing, how many have a desire to help this young man? I know we've kind of reached our commitment level. How many, man, people will jump to their feet and go, hey, I'll give another $20 a week 
hey, I'll give 10 more a week. We'll give another $10 a week. We'll give another $10 a week by faith. And man, by faith, we were able to add that one and send them out. Because we always felt like, as long as we had the attitude that we, were, we, we had a duty, our duty is to help others, that we always owed a debt to, to the Lord. Really, when you think about it, it was not just to Brother Quinlan, Brother Joyner, the men that trained me and so forth. The debt that I owe is to my Lord. He paid the biggest sacrifice to be able to save my soul. He, he didn't just make a few sacrifices. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for me. And, 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 and this is his, these are his words. These aren't Paul's words. This is just Paul recording his words. This is him asking you, do you feel a duty? This is him asking you, do you feel like you're a debtor? This is him asking you, do you have any desire at all to send others to, to, to train somebody else? This is the Lord asking you that question out of this passage. So if we would start this conference tonight with the right attitude towards missions, this is going to be an easy conference. If you'll develop and incorporate the mindset before this night is over, I'm going to fall on my face before God and I'm going to say this. I always want to feel like I've got a duty to others. I always feel like I've got a debt to others. I have a desire to help others. That's why the Macedonian churches gave like they gave, because they took on that attitude. Let's bow our heads together tonight. And while you bow your head, maybe you could just stand to your feet quietly and we're going to go ahead and have maybe just an invitation. And uh, I, I want to just say this to you, that if you haven't already been praying and asking God about what he'd have you to do for world missions, then maybe it ought to start with asking God to make, give you the right attitude towards missions. Would you, would you just come on this night, if the Lord's spoken to you, and say, Lord, I just want to tonight, I, I, I just want to... It, I just want you to help me by your grace to take on these three attitudes towards missions. If you'll help me to do that, Lord, I'm struggling with it. Because we always are prone to look at the temporal and our money and our checkbooks and, 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 and what we have and our poverty. And Hey, don't do that. Fall on your face before God and say, God, I wouldn't be saved tonight. My marriage wouldn't be back together. My name wouldn't be in the Lamb's Book of Life if you hadn't given your life for mine. I want to have these attitudes in my life tonight. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Would you, would you just come tonight as the music begins to play softly? Others have come. Would you step out and come and take that step of faith? Maybe you're here tonight and you have never understood. You've never seen. You've never heard the message. Well, we can take this book and show you from God's Word how you can be saved. And your life will be changed as well. And you'll get to go to heaven. Father, please bless tonight, bless this week. Thank you for the faithfulness of these good people and their attention to the preaching of the Word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know... Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. We certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.